Welcome back to a new episode of the Making It Real podcast for founders who take action. Today, our special guest is Jasper Masemann, who is partner at HV Capital. Jasper is a founder turned VC and took it all the way from once an intern at HV Capital, which back then was called Holzbring Ventures, to the partner level. In the podcast, we talk about his biggest mistakes and the respective learnings, how to think about customer acquisition channels and pricing, and exciting business opportunities. So let's go. Let's learn from Jasper how to make it real. Yeah, so welcome. My great honor and pleasure to have uh, Jasper here on the show. Welcome, Jasper. Thanks a lot, Jan. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You have a wonderful journey. You're actually a real entrepreneur that created a company and then turned investor with HV uh, Capital, former Holzbrink, as I know it. And we know each other for quite some time from Spain here and from the Berlin ecosystem. Um, tell us, what was your personal journey into the entrepreneurship world? It was actually quite a long journey. Um, so I started with an, a little internship. Uh, actually, the first one was in Barcelona, uh, to, uh, to be transparent. It was a Spanish local Spanish company, um, and they wanted to invest in new stuff. It was a little bit in the fish farming sector, but we also looked at other things. So that was 2001. I, I, I started studying in Lancaster University, three days, no rain in the first year. So I decided I have to go to a different city. So I went to your city of Barcelona. I, I really loved it. So that was the first one looking for, for small investments as a 21 year old guy. And then um, I joined uh, HV uh, at that time, Holzbring Networks, so the corporate venturing arm of the publishing group Holzbring uh, for an internship that was in 2002. Uh, amazing time, two years after the bubble burst. So nothing really going on. Nobody wanted to go into venture or invest. But uh, I was really impressed how they were thinking about investing, how this new internet was a big opportunity. And I always kept the contact uh, with, the, with the firm. So they helped me with my diploma thesis, also with my PhD that I never finished. Um, and then um, when I actually, when they were looking for someone in Munich, uh, there were two things on my mind. I'm not a big fan of Munich. I'm coming more from the north of Germany, but especially after being a consultant at BCG and, and helping other companies, but not really knowing you know, the details, having no experience, just being smart and obviously at a very good firm. I really wanted to, to feel and experience everything myself before I start consulting maybe other entrepreneurs. So that's why I bootstrapped uh, greatcontent.com um, with my own money and, and a partner. And then we sold it after some years to a publishing group. Um, it was basically a text production platform in 18 different languages, also Spanish, a little bit of Catalan, but that was difficult. And they wrote millions of texts. So it was a pretty nice uh, business. Um, yeah, and then I joined HV when, when they decided to open up an office uh, five and a half years ago here in Berlin. So I was the first one here selecting all the furniture, but then also starting more the B2B angle. The fund is historically more consumer focused. And since my business was doing B2B sales, I was building a B2B product, a technology product. I really felt that could be something and AI was a big new thing. So that was the first uh, idea or the first trial I did in, in venture investing uh, with Zeitgold as a first investment. Uh -huh. Wonderful. So I can see the early as well interest in, in text and, and uh, understanding text as well. And so we'll come back to that. 
uh, starting your first company, what, what was as well then you know, the, the, the core driver over there? Was it to say, okay, I, I just want to learn what entrepreneurship is to then get into investing? So you kind of had already this game plan or was it more like, let's take one step at a time. Right now, I feel there's an exciting opportunity to produce text because it's needed. But back then, we remember the early days that was content. Content was ruling. I mean, now it's content is back. is always very relevant. But what brought you to, to, to actually start the first company then? Yeah, I guess I have. Uh, so my father uh, was a merchant, so a trader, and he was always pretty independent. So actually he took over his own company. And what I always loved was this um, being independent, doing what you think is right, failing, but then, you know, getting up and doing it again, versus being in a very, I would say, encapsulated environment with a lot of rules and processes to follow. I'm, I'm kind of, a, a, if, I, if I have a process that I follow constantly, I'm, I'm disrupting it, even if it's a good one. I, I need change. Um, that was first one. And second one, I have a bit of oh, optimizing, issue. optimizing it or yeah, I, I would say, for disrupting. I would say thinking about optimizing it, really doing it, I'm not so good. Uh, so hello, everybody at Great Content. Sorry for that. So I always have a good ideas about it, but not a really good implementing it. Um, and I have an issue with authority a little bit. So that's why I never went to the German military, but did the social service. And I really felt at BCG, I could do this, this better. I should, you know, I have better ideas, but I was never really sure. So I felt if I have 100% risk, if I'm 100% exposed and I can really decide everything, that's the best learning experience for me. And I really wanted to do this. And then I had a business partner who actually came up with the idea, very successful entrepreneur, uh, Oliver Flasskemper, who had a, a German company in, in text production. And then we said, hey, Good we have friend, to do actually, this. yes, indeed. Yeah. And, and so we said, hey, we have to do this internationally. Uh, let's try it out. I think now nowadays he's more ex uh, successful with Bitcoin. Um, and Mr. Uh, Bitcoin, they call him in German. We'll have him on the yeah. show as well, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's amazing on, on that part. He was a very uh, early believer. No, but uh, th that's what we tried out. And, and I love to have a business that I could cite so a lot of things that I wanted to do. It should be very local. So I could hire everybody in Berlin. So I didn't want to build, you know, this big international company with branches everywhere. Should be digital, easy to scale, easy to, to sell the product also from just Berlin. And that all came together in, in this kind of business model. So that's why we tried it out. The unfortunate case was it's not a very good venture case because of the project nature, um, let's say, of, of how customers buy it. So there are some customers constantly buying text, new text and new text. Zalando was a big customer at that time, at least. Um, but uh, most of them had little projects. So you were constantly on a sales motion. And then LTV CAC, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it on the show, but the return that you invest on certain customers wasn't that good. Mm -hmm. So that's why so, we decided it's more bootstrap business that you should sell at some point profitably. Uh -huh. You're already a core lesson learned then in a way, looking out mm -hmm. for LTV that you have long customer retention and big values then that the customers give you as a core thing as well. The service part sounds a bit like it's it's not so easy to standardize hence scale as well, where you set the investment case. Um, was that earlier? Or would you say for first time founders that think about starting their own ventures, is it already important to start thinking about scaling and maybe starting with a venture case? Or was it actually a good way to just start a project oftentimes i say don't start companies just start project and then as well kind of see where it takes you because if people kind of build up this big idea about a company then they never really get to it right how is your view on that now looking back would you say is it more about first just getting started 
getting some experience in and then in the future ventures you can do other maybe more scalable things or morph as well this early project into a scalable thing what's your perspective on this I think for the business model of great content, it was good that we were just starting. I mean, we already had um, had a business in Germany, so we had some ideas how to do it. But then internationally, we were just starting and figuring out how this would work. So just selling the product to a customer and then figuring out in the background, in the back end and everything, how to make this profitable. Because we had top, so we had top line growth. Uh, everybody was happy. So we were more thinking about okay, how to optimize this over time and with more data. When you look at other business models, this is probably not a good start. For example, AI business models, there is really around figuring out what kind of AI is working for this product. So it's more testing, experimenting before you can actually offer something to the customer that really shows value. So then you get the, the, the relevant feedback. Or if you look at um, open source uh, or free trial products, where you get a lot of feedback from customers that use this for free, but then accept that it's not so perfect versus customers who actually have to pay for it and then would expect more maybe i don't know better product more features uh, more customer support so it really so we could take we could talk about this for ages i would say in principle um it's it's around solving this very core uh, problem for the customer and understanding how much value that would create and then really thinking about the path how to get there so for some business models the path is open source because you need the community, you need everybody helping you with this. And also on the adoption cycle, maybe it's a bit more product-led growth. And then you can still see on the horizon, it could be a big company one day. Um, for other business models, you have to start selling a product that adds value right now, because only the customers that are buying this with some value add, they give you the relevant feedback so you can expand. So it's a bit, look at the Gorilla's uh, GoPuff models right um there there is a clear value and then you figure out at the end how to really make this profitable very deep tech product actually the value is created after some time of product development and then mm -hmm. when you think about vc money at the end of the day if you have a product like uh, like gopuff or gorillas that is highly unprofitable at the beginning that's why you need vc if you have a deep tech product same thing so you have to pre-finance it but I, I really liked, I really enjoyed having just a little bit of my own money and being very, very independent and figuring it out myself. Which I think is as well, and there's a really important perspective to kind of think that through as well to some extent. You know, saying, hey, if you, as you described it, AI, you need a lot of like data upfront learning. You're not quick to the money to make generate these revenues, most likely. So that's more venture case, other venture cases, like you described, Gorillas now, very hot company from Berlin as well. You need a venture case. Other ventures are more that you can start more immediately and people really have to think about that, what they want. Would you say for first time founders, especially because we have many people on the show that are mm -hmm. like, they're thinking even about whether they should start a company. Would you say this kind of bootstrap, maybe not so scalable, quicker to the money is actually, it might be a better way to, to get your first experience in or would you say it, it really depends too much? There's no general advice on that. There is, I think it's it's better for them in, in principle or as a general advice to have something where you get very quick feedback from your customers, but it could be also a free tool. It's not necessarily money, but obviously if it's a free tool, you have to finance it somehow. Uh, but then you should 
probably do something, build something with a bit less burn than, for example, the gorillas model. Um, mm -hmm. But um, for example, us as a, as a larger fund, so we, we, we kind of manage two billion in capital and the last fund was $600 million. We always are looking for the path. So uh, taking Michael Brehm, that's I think uh, also on your show or, or was on your show, um, we invested a lot of money into his company without uh, revenue. Um, and even without a tech product that we could see, because he's a serial entrepreneur, he could describe his problem very, very well. And because of all his past experience that he made, we know that he's making less mistakes than first-time founders. And the earlier you start, the less experience you have in the industry and the less experience you have building a company, the more mistakes you will make, whoever is your investor. I mean, even if you have the best business angels in the world, they can't sit next to you the whole time and, and help you avoiding those mistakes. Actually, some of those mistakes you have to do yourself. So at least if you know that you, are, you won't be the best founder with your first startup, if you acknowledge that, that you will make a lot of mistakes and you need the time and, 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 and also the, let's say, a bit more the, the, yeah, let's say the modesty to accept that you will make mistakes, then at least de-risk other things. So making, for example, a gorilla's model is maybe easier than going for a very deep tech AI uh, startup more in the GPT-3 area and you want to build your own GPT-3, so language, uh, natural language processing model. Um, that, that would be my general advice. Try to de-risk as much as you can until you get feedback and then really be very fast learner on the feedback. Uh, because all these Siri entrepreneurs, there's a reason why they get so much money. Sometimes people are like, "What? why do they get so much money without any product or anything? Because people believe they, they can be more successful than others. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, talking about the investment criteria so, or the ideal candidate, uh, you, you're looking, you have a lot of funds under management, you have a lot of investment, a lot of successes. I remember as well, there's the list of the big exits in Europe and Holtzbring mm -hmm. is on uh, many of those as well. What would you uh, characterize in terms of the ideal investment? I mean, it's never perfect, right? There's always mm -hmm. some concerns, some risk and so on. And then you try to mitigate those. But what would be for you personally, one of the core things that you look for as you judge a new venture, a new venture team? Yeah, I, so I sit on, on the boards of nine companies now, personally. And I've seen some really, really big um, yeah, uh, growth stories so far in the portfolio. I mean, to mention in, in Spain, Lingo Kids is a pretty huge company. Um, by the time you publish the podcast, they're hopefully past 40 million um, run rate um, with actually quite little funding. And maybe there's a funding round announced uh, as well uh, after or before the podcast. And um, there was one reason they, they found a product market fit, um, but then they executed very well on this one. And same for Verbit that will also announce the huge funding round very soon or will have announced it already. Um, there was also very early indications and then just the execution of the team was strong. So when we look at those cases, what we're trying to figure out is what is the, what is the first time we get relevant customer feedback that confirms what we think will be this big case that we're investing in. So obviously, First, I always, that's what I learned, by the way, doing my unfinished PhD. There's this explorative, uh, uh, exploratory part and the confirmatory part, like, like in science. So first I'm listening, I'm trying to get excited. And then the second part, I'm trying to confirm if this all makes sense or is possible. And the earlier you see that, um, and as a team, and you switch into execution mode, the better. That's a, this is one thing. So 
stop building or making your product perfect, but really selling it to the customer, making it more relevant and, and big around the customer. If you look at all these big companies, one feedback I, I often get from tech products is, oh, this is not a cool product. Look at Salesforce. It doesn't look good. It's not, I don't know. It's, it's very bad to use, but it's working. It's working and it's working well. And they obviously focus on the execution with Zoom. Same thing. We're using Zoom right now. There are so many complaints around Zoom, but it's huge because the product market fit is there and they were focusing more on the execution part. And uh, that's, that's one thing we look for founders, that they're very execution driven. Um, the second part, so to get there, what I just described is obviously that they are modest about their skills and then about what they need to, to actually build this. And we don't love like preoccupied founders. Um, let's say with strong conviction, strongly held, they should be loosely held, but with some kind of energy why they're doing it. So it, it's obviously not good if you have, uh, if, if you loosely held them and then you're always iterating, iterating, experimenting and you never get to a good product, but you need some kind of conviction that you have to solve this problem. That's what Michael Brehm and I2X are doing. He wants to help these customer care agents and call centers. He really understands the problem and he just wants to solve it. And that's how he iterating there. So if there's no reason for the founder uh, or the team why they do it except for money, then we don't feel comfortable. If we don't see that they're getting things done in a quick iteration and just, yeah, it, for example, in an early discussion, we might challenge them. And if we feel that they are rejecting every challenge, not thinking about it, not discussing it, but more like, no, 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 I know it better. I'm, I'm smarter. That's not good, at least not, not for us. And then the, uh, the last thing for me, at least, um, and that adds a bit to what I just said. I like no bullshit people, less ego, just, you know, shooting it, shooting it, it, it quarreling, discussing, um, and then being fast learners. And the next time you have your next iteration, maybe the second meeting, you can really see how they're picking up things, how they're advancing already in your discussion. The faster people can learn, the better they will build a company. Mm -hmm. Sounds as well that your, your uh, as well personal sweet spot are the early stages. No, there's kind of like you you see that something there and you're trying to build it out as well. And then obviously, you know, with the funds you mentioned that you definitely have firepower to do the follow-ons and you do need to yeah. deploy capital then. But if you focus I, on I, this, I tend maybe to jump on it just quickly. I tend to do that because I really enjoy um, coaching people. I'm also in a lot of those incubation programs as coach. But um, as a fund, as a large fund, we need, we need some at least level of confirmation that this could be a, a huge company. And I'm talking various billions in, in valuation. So there are teams that we back pre-product, pre-traction. I2X is an example. Zeitgold is an example. Um, or LegalOS. Um, but there are others, for example, especially in, not in Germany, but that's not a clear pattern, but Verbit already had a million in ARR. They are now at 88 million. Uh, Lingo Kids had a million in ARR. Um, Ultimate AI, also some. Um, and so it, it really depends, uh, I would say, on first contact, if we get a conviction of that, that there's a path to being this such a big company or not. Sometimes for some models, they are so bold. Let's look at legal OS. Uh, they want to disrupt the legal sector by really coding and coding law. So writing law as code. And the first contact we had, we said, okay, the idea is bold, but you have to prove a little bit that you can do this because you're first time founder team. So we actually invested in the next round after that, after we felt, okay, they can execute on this again, right? This part of, are they able to get things done? So sorry, that was a bit longer. Mm -hmm. No, no, wonderful as well. And I think it closely connects to this question as well. No, as you judge this um, early on, 
you're looking for this customer in a way excitement customer validation so what would be like clear signals that founders should aim for where you see or if you say hey like certain cases that i remember it it clearly showed us that there's a really big pain point or that even this rudimentary product will be a big hit no one's it's further built out the the various data points um for for Zeitgold, for example, that's accounting automation. One data point was uh, it's for restaurants accounting automation. First for restaurants, now they are more focusing on the tax advisors. But I, I was I was going to the restaurants and asking them what happens if I take out the product, if it's if it's shut down. Let's say you can say for maintenance for a month. Yeah, you don't have to be that drastic. And they say no, it doesn't work. I just change all my processes. If you speak to the customers of Ultimate AI, they help with uh, written customer communication. So it's chatbots, but it's also email support, etc. Um, they would have to rewind the whole process to the old age and that's not possible anymore so that's for one customer if you're at the very early stage obviously that's important if you go even a bit earlier and you would ask them more open questions like what would you need to make your business more successful what what are your top three issues and then as a vc you would compare it or even as a founder and say am i really solving this or not because sometimes people are like hey there's ai and there's nlp and now i build a product out of it but they're not asking themselves okay what does that enable me to build and does the customer really need it um and there is uh, and then there's one more thing if you if you have very early traction also in payments so legal os for example they charge 500 euros per seat per um per month which is a big price if you compare it to Salesforce and others. But uh, for law firms, they are willing to pay it because it really adds so much value that for them, it's an easy ROI. Same for I2X. I2X is much more expensive than Salesforce, but the ROI is 10X of it. So if you have this early indications that people are willing to pay, and even if they are not paying that much, as I just said, but just willing to pay, that's also very, very good. And that's the big issue when you go down this rabbit hole of open source of free products that you always feel comfortable uh, vectornator that's a graphic design software in the in the vector graphic space i bet um, they are now also going for monetization because they say we have so many great customers out there really using and really loving us but now we have to understand which of them are willing to pay and why because maybe we have to focus on other features that are more important for the ones really earning money with our products versus the ones having fun with our product mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, okay. So I see that you had wonderful lots of metrics as well. I could see that. No, is it top priority? So building kind of this pain point hierarchy, actually pricing indications, getting to really significant pricing, for example, per month shows you, hey, there's value perceived there as well. As no, And then as well, sounds like, hey, if you could no longer use this product, how disappointed would you be? Um, yeah. How important? So oftentimes there I find like, there's certain customer statements and you can have, you know, consensus if you have a good uh, no conversation where people uh, no really get to the grain of things as well. But how important would it be at times where you want to see it in terms of contract substantiated, not just the customer saying, hey, yeah, I would pay for that, but go build it versus no, no, you actually got to pay now. Yeah. So um, I would say uh, uh, the simple answer is the longer uh, the, uh, the contract, the higher the ACV, the better as a signal, but it obviously doesn't work if you're in an early stage and it totally makes sense. I mean, I've seen um, 
I've seen startups trying to force their customers to use annual recurring contracts, but actually they have different usage every month. And they're like, guys, come on, I can't pay this because I'm using it less. So it doesn't feel right. I'm, I'm taking a risk here myself. And as a startup, you're selling very early to somebody experimenting also with you. So not you are an experiment, also your customer. So you have to take some risk off them, not just with extra customer service, but also maybe with pricing. Um, so I would say it's in, in, in general, what for us, it's totally fine if, it's, if there's a POC, it's totally fine if it's even for free. Um, the more important uh, question for us is, does the founders, uh, do the founders understand what follows after this? So is there a signal from the customer side why they really need it? Do we understand how they implement it in their processes? Do we understand their budgeting process? So I2X, that's usually two year sales cycle and more. So that you should plan for that, yeah? it takes some time. Um, and, and then there are customers who have innovation budgets. So it's easy, right? You get in there, everybody's happy, but then that's it because you have to move to a different department. And that guy actually has- Different uh, decision maker completely. Yeah, yeah it's all and, and because they're measured by how many innovation projects they do and not, not even if they are successful, yeah, just testing. So, yes. um, so that's, so it's, it's, it's all around and I'm always uh, discussing that with my colleagues. Do we really understand this? Does the founder really understand this? The whole process behind it and obviously the earlier founders are the more inexperienced they are in the sales cycle and i'm not talking about enterprise software also if you, if you look at small businesses the, the more risk is involved but the good founders they are driven to find it out it's not just that they you know they're just not hustling but they're really trying to understand and they ask even the customers the tough question because and that that is it's a good example if you have small business or medium-sized business um a startup you can churn customers at the beginning. Yes, you shouldn't have a high, very high churn rate, but you can have some churn because that's a learning experience as well. Versus with enterprise, ah, you can't churn that many customers. So you should be much more aware how the whole process works. Um, but just uh, churn is a good thing. We actually had this discussion at Ultimate AI. Um, they had two years, no churn. So we're now pushing them uh, to have an increased price. <laughs> Yeah, and, and just churn customers because come on, it, 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 it's too easy right now. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay, so no being me, me then as well, no testing different segments to acquire those as well. No, so it's okay as well to see kind of where the model that you have in mind and that you're testing breaks as well. I understand here. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. What would be another, like maybe the most where you see the, the founders struggling the most or getting wrong the most, one, one concept or so, one core thing that you say, hey, so many people out there, they do the same mistake over and over. We've seen it in so many ventures and definitely you, you can avoid this. Yeah. Um, so I did, I did the mistake myself. So I bootstrapped most, most of the time. So there was some money involved. Uh, not hiring good enough people for what we are planning to do ahead. So having certain ambition level, but not hiring the people according to it and not taking our time onboarding and, 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 and training them, but also building this with them. Um, what we often see is that people either say, you know, I'm just hiring somebody with an amazing CV and they will just do it for me. So uh, not really working as a team, but more in silos, um, not embracing that this is a holistic thing. It's, it's building a company, not just building a department. So if I'm a strong product founder, I just focus on product and I don't care about the rest. That, that's usually something because as soon as you start scaling, let's, let's take the very simple example of accounting. 
your accounting will kill you if you haven't set that up right. Um, yeah, if it was manual or I don't know. Same for hiring. You, you're scaling with headhunters, forget it. You need internal people with your hiring, onboarding, culture, everything. So that's one. Um, and the other thing um, that we often see is um, that people don't 100% understand why customers are buying this. So they're kind of, oh, we sold to three customers. Let's scale it. Let's go for it. But they don't ask themselves why this, why did they buy? What could be others? Because this is a tough one. By the way, it's the same for Lean Startup. I hear so often that people have read the book, but I'm not so sure if they really use it because it's about failing a lot and people don't like failing. And yeah. It's the same with sales. I mean, if you, if you do sales and you're like, my conversion rate is, again, right, churn. My conversion rate is 90%. My first reaction is, hmm, I don't know if you're selling, if you really, if you're just selling to a few very, very, you know, positive people to your friends. I don't know. This is weird. You should fail when you sell because you're very early mm -hmm. in the process. Yeah. Risk-taking. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. Many people, as well, when they say, you know, uh, uh, say they uh, do the lean startup approach, they read the book then as well. And the basic means they have no money. So I guess I do lean startup, right? That's for them is typically lean startup as even after having read the book, it's kind of like, yeah, maybe <laughs> there's a little bit more to that. So I think uh, it's really wonderful you know, how you encourage people to, to really understand the customers, to go out there a lot, ask them a question, understand the decision, the whole context in which all of these take place as well. And the team, if we uh, quickly, a few highlights there from your perspective on the team. Oftentimes early on, the founders don't really have an experienced HR person to help them with the recruiting. So they basically have to do it themselves. Oftentimes the CEO, co-founder kind of is in charge of that. What would be like your one, two, three core advice points on how to hire effectively if you have nobody to back you up on the hiring and you have to do it yourself? Yeah, first one, use headhunters. <laughs> they okay. are expensive. So don't do it by yourself. No, well, you, you should be involved in the hiring process. You should do interviews. You should take decisions. But first yes. of all, you need some freelancer, at least uh, better as an internal person, but who does all the process management, make the appointments, make the follow-ups, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really professional process and you don't lose anybody or lose pace uh, throughout the process. So you need a backup. Don't do everything yourself. First one. Second one. You need headhunters to approach people, but also to really understand the market a little bit. And yes, they are expensive. We all understand that, but there is a lot of value in them. They know much more than you, especially when you just started. If you're three, two, two, three years old, you have your head of people and your recruiters. Yes, that might be different. Then you only use them for specific tasks, but especially at the beginning. And then the third piece of advice is clearly involve uh, a big chunk of your team. Um, they can take a load off your shoulders. That's one. But you're hiring somebody, you, you're hiring the big initial team here. And if they don't work together well, if they don't fit together, this will slow you down. This will even create more risk than you think. Mm -hmm. Super exciting. Then the, I guess many people out there now ask, so, but how do I know which headhunter is right for me? Because I'm sure they're all very good in selling themselves, right? But how do you know? And especially for no, this high growth startup that you maybe want to create right so not the journalist hey get a manager in because oftentimes headhunters their real money that they're making is actually hiring for this mid-sized family companies or enterprises right they pay they come back a lot so they focus yep. on that and you with your little budget you're not so interesting to them no? yeah that's why at the end of the day we just facilitate the exchange between our portfolio companies because they're most 
up to date who are the best headhunters. Um, that facilitation, we have a VP people. Uh, Anna, uh, she's amazing. She's not doing active uh, recruiting, obviously, um, but um, we have we have a certain uh, exchange between the portfolio companies to always be up to date. And there, all the recruiters speak to each other on Slack channels, emails, etc. Um, because sometimes it's not just that the headhunter was good before and now not so good anymore. Most of the time, they don't have the capacity right now. So you have to oh, wonderful. So that's uh, definitely then the call out you know, to be out there in the ecosystem, talking to other founders yep. who they work with as well. Maybe that little bit of advertisement for the Builders Network to me is an amazing network you know, of yep. founders here in Europe. Really great exchange there. So if you're a founder, go join it. I think it's a fantastic initiative there. Um, maybe if we switch and know very briefly now as we're coming towards the end, just seeing the current uh, kind of developments in the market. We see big funds, you're running big funds, but you've built it up over many years. We have many people that run first time VC funds, lots of additional money coming in. We have the US funds pushing in, into Europe. Overall, it feels a bit like a bubble. Is there a bubble? Well, let's call it like that. There's too much capital right now for all the companies out there that can really return that money. That's my feeling. Um, is that essentially bad for the ecosystem? No, I think it's actually very, very good for the ecosystem to maybe catch up a little bit with Silicon Valley and other ecosystems. So I'm not just talking about Germany, but also Spain. UK is also pretty far advanced and, and, and France and other countries. So I think it's a very positive one. We should never forget at this point still, investing is easy. Some funds, let's talk the big funds, Tiger, SoftBank, writing a 50 million check is nothing for them. Um, so it's maybe not the strongest signaling. It's not a bad signal, but it's not the strongest signaling as, for example, I would say a smaller fund like K-Fund from Spain would write a 10 million check, right? That's a signal. They really believe in this. So it's always, uh, we should be careful what, what this all means. At the end of the day, a fund is raised. It has to deploy capital in three to four years. So there will be a lot of capital deployment. Funds are coming, as you said, from the US to Europe because it's cheaper here. <laughs> Maybe the competition is less and they can work better with their brands. But still, it will push company development here. It will give people more money so they can build more, take more risk. It's very, very good for the ecosystem. For us, I think for the entrepreneurs, it's much better than for us as a fund. For us, the picking is tougher. Um, which is why we are well positioned being an early stage fund, because usually many of the international funds come a bit later, but still they're also going downstream. So let's say for the funds, it's tougher for the entrepreneurs. I think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So it seems no, lots of interest in this pre-Series A, Series A, that the, the classical uh, sweet spot there. Many people have To me, what I would be a bit concerned, I would be really interested to see what you think about that. That right now, because the times are so good, there are these rounds, there's a lot of, let's say, more capital coming in. You give away 20%, so respectively saying the valuations are very high. So people as well put the bar really high that they have to jump over in the next, let's say, year and a half, two years. And if we then see a downturn and people get way more conservative on their investments, they'll have an issue because whatever they had in mind as to show for progress in these two years will not be enough, right? Do you see that happening? Yeah. And should fa uh, fa uh, no founders, entrepreneurs be aware of this? Yeah, I mean, look at the IPO market in the last years. Uh, the companies that have very good contribution margins, uh, high profitability or at least gross profit, um, have done very well. Uh, an Uber uh, or a, a WeWork, uh, that was different. 
Um, so I think SoftBank gave us a good example. Yes, you can deploy a lot of money suddenly into different business models, but if there is no sustainability, as you just said, um, the, 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 the bill comes at the end. So we always discuss with our founders what happens with our money. When do you do the next fundraise? What kind of KPIs you want to reach? So we try to be very transparent and also say what we expect for a follow-on. We often you know, uh, do the next round ourselves, like for Lingo Kids, where we invested seed with JME Ventures, and then we led the, the Series A also with JME. Um, so this is very important for the founders. Make sure that there is a, a route to the next funding round, and you really understand how to do it. Not just, you know, being happy about getting that much money, paying yourself a higher salary. That's, that's definitely wrong. So I totally agree with you. That's clearly happening. And VC funds are receptive to founders who can sell well and tell a good story because it always feels like, hey, they can always continue fundraising like that. And it has worked in the past. And this is the most prominent stuff you can read in the press. But the very successful companies, and you can, you can just look on the, on the NASDAQ and all the IPOs, they didn't, they didn't do so much external communication while building their companies. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Really amazing insights there as well. One related question to that as well, would you then, as you discuss the next milestone, do you actually think uh, or consider a scenario where, which is actually the adverse, let's say, financing scenario? And are these milestones then enough in this adverse scenario as you talk to the founders? Or is it kind of not, well, we take the current context as is. Uh, sorry, so you, you mean when we, when they don't reach the goals, what we do as a contingency plan? Yeah, or, or... maybe right now, no, because we could say like, no, that we have kind of like... Uh, hype the parties in full swing, hype, hype cycles, right? So people think, okay, two, three years down the road, these milestones, they should should be amazing. And, but the context might be very different. No, yeah. This Sequoia yeah. Rest in Peace document, which they actually even highlighted, you know, some years ago when it kind of it looked as I if the you. times are coming back. So yeah. as you have these discussions, because to me right now, I wonder, should the founders out there actually consider that? And I'm, I'm yeah. actually... Maybe I'm expecting too many crises always, but in the end, I think it's actually helpful because, I mean, then even if the crises don't come here on the sunny side, right? Yeah, you, if you listen to podcasts of, let's say, the bit more older experience VCs, uh, 20 minutes VC, et cetera, you hear a lot of, yeah, I'm, I'm telling the people for, for years already that there's a crisis coming. Um, by the way, I'm the same and I'm just 41 years old. So what we try to do is we detach the discussion how to build this company from the funding environment as at first thing right so whatever vcs are saying it's it, it tells you nothing about your future traction lingo kits in spain wasn't sexy two years ago yeah edtech nobody wanted to do edtech suddenly it's amazing because of the COVID effect but this is going down again right so the question is more what, what is sustainable here so we try to detach that however there are obviously discussions when it comes to growth funds, when it comes to IPOs, et cetera, um, where we say, hey, this is the time to fundraise versus maybe in a year's time. It was even the other way around in, in COVID. In COVID, we had this big portfolio discussion. We said, hey, guys, we have to extend our runway. We don't know how the funding environment is development, uh, developing in the next four, six months which was very healthy. You know, we had Flixbus, buses driving around, not anymore. We have a lot of travel companies. So, so that's important. But my, my experience at least is you can maybe anticipate trends in the VC industry for the next three months, 
maybe six if you are in a certain sectors, but that's it, right? It can completely change. Uh, it's a bit, unfortunately, a bit like a herd effect lemmings running mm -hmm. after SaaS right now because it's IPO, but you know, those companies were started 10 years ago, eight years ago. Yeah, and there seem to be waves now. Everybody's starting SaaS, so it seems like every micro task is SaaS now, which is not really business. No, so you have feature-based SaaS, also wonderful. Yep. Uh, Jasper, I think we've covered so many exciting uh, insights. I would say let's uh, close with a quick fire round. So as well, I'd ask you a question, then a, a shorter answer. Cool. Yes, wonderful. Who is the one that you admire the most as a person? Being, being unprepared, this is tough. Um, I admire my father a lot. So I think that's that's the one because he started, uh, you know, without higher school education, no studies, uh, just a small one, and then working his way up and then even taking over his own company with a big loan, although he had a loan on his house and then selling this company uh, That's and, and still raising a family and loving his family. I think that's a big role model. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. You can really see how the uh, family then inspires as well in this personal experiences. What's the most useful product, service, or software for entrepreneurs that you see out there? Maybe as one, one that is underappreciated. That is underappreciated. Mm -hmm. That people don't know about as much yet where you say, hey, this is really cool too. I think more entrepreneurs should use it. My feeling is prioritizing product management. So product board just recently got a huge round, uh, but prioritizing customer feedback, internal feedback in, in your product roadmaps, it's often done with Asana or with Excel files, but really having a smart way of, of incorporating that in a, in a swift turnaround. Yeah, that's something I hear a lot. Mm -hmm. Wonderful and great tips there. What is the thing that is broken that entrepreneurs should fix? Um, Okay, this is this is a very biased answer. Uh, perception of VCs. Uh, I always, I, I often hear this very bad, uh, you know, view on VCs. You, you're not smart. You're you're so so arrogant whatsoever. At the end of the day, I would I would see a VC as a customer. I'm, I'm pitching. I'm I'm selling. I might I might win. I might lose. Usually I lose, which is fine. I, but I have to understand what my customers want, and and how to sell it to them. Yeah, and 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 just see it pragmatically. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And I think as well, Jasper, you can see that not all the VCs are arrogant here, I think, and many others as well are a wonderful person. So I think it's uh, real life as well as different. I'm, as, I'm, like I'm not, I'm not the myth out there, you know, this yeah, people, oh, they want something different or so. And yeah. Thank, thanks for saying that. I'm sometimes very slow in my responses and I sometimes miss my emails. Uh, I'm sorry for that, but that's how I am. I'm not very good with my inbox. Okay. So. That can happen. So a tool for for that as well, though, there's definitely uh, yeah. some people, I think, some, of many, you know? Some, something based on Office 365, we don't use Gmail. So that's, I think, that's our challenge, SHV. <laughs> okay, yeah. And then plug-in for browsers. I have a few suggestions there. Uh, what's Good. your lifelong dream? What's the ultimate dream? The ultimate dream is that I can wake up and do whatever I want to do. I'm a very independently thinking person and I really follow what I like. That's my ultimate dream. It's very close being a VC um, with the family and, and my hobbies. Um, I really enjoy that. Um, so I'm, I'm getting close, and, uh, but I have to be, become a better, more efficient person myself to get there. But just doing what I want is my dream. Wonderful. Jasper, thanks again for this wonderful insights, for sharing all of this and inspiring the next generation of entrepreneurs. Thank you, Jan.
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Making It Real podcast for founders who take action. If you don't want to miss any upcoming episodes with entrepreneurs who create unicorns and high-impact ventures, make sure to subscribe. Let us know your feedback on your favorite podcast outlet and follow me on LinkedIn to stay informed about future episodes. And most importantly, do not just think about business opportunities, but get started and make it real.